you can have some crappy stuff going on in your business or your personal life back home, but the world still goes around and it still keeps moving. And that was one of the things that really stood out to me when I first started traveling was... Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Let's check in with the co-host, Cody. What's going on? Hey, what's up, Justin? I am really liking the warm weather that's been coming up our way in the Northeast. I spent this past weekend, actually, one of the days at the beach, which is 0.5 miles from my house, little Dorchester, Carson Beach. Had a good old time sunbathing. The fast food of the weekend was Chick-fil-A. And it got an astounding weighted average of 8.5. It was absolutely delicious. No regrets there. But how about you, man? (laughs) Well, I love the uh, the fast food thing is still going. Uh, Chick-fil-A is definitely a pretty solid choice. Everybody goes there for their chicken, but actually, you know, their lemonade solid, uh, the vanilla ice cream is solid. It's just a solid restaurant top to bottom. And customer service is like through the roof. But for me, I spent some time with my family and also just making big moves on the van, cut a big 14 by 14 inch hole all the way through the roof. So I had a sunroof there for a little bit, but installed a big electric fan in there to kind of exhaust heat out or bring some fresh air in. And then also installed a 100 watt solar panel. So now I'm completely off the grid and she's good to go. And now before we get into the guest today, let's take a quick moment for a word from our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called Personal Capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans. These can be 401ks. These can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards. They're all linked there. The other thing I really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. Alrighty, so in today's episode, we have our good friend Whitney Hansen, where Justin, I think we met her back in, what was it, it had to be the end of 2018 down at Camp Fi in Arkansas, Camp Fi South. Whitney was awesome, we both connected with her immediately, and we're so happy we could finally get her on the show to share her expertise in the money coaching world. She talks about what it means to be a money coach, how you can be a successful money coach, how you can successfully connect with other people and not just feed them information and have them kind of just push it all away. We also get into some interesting stuff like travel, her journey as a swimsuit model, and a bunch of other crazy stuff, but we don't want to take all her thunder away. Take it away, Whitney. This is a very pivotal moment in my journey, so I'm glad that we're starting there. My moment to realizing that money actually mattered was when my parents had separated officially. They were married about 27 years, and they finally separated. It was a really abusive relationship, a lot of drug addiction, just not a healthy environment. And my mom finally separated and moved to Boise, which is where I reside now. And this moment 
for us was we were living in this tiny little two-bedroom apartment, and there's six kids in my family. And my mom and I, we were, I mean, we were broke, guys. She didn't have a, a college education. She barely graduated high school. So she was trying to support the family on $7.25 per hour. And yeah, crazy stuff. But the moment where it really clicked for me was we were sleeping on the floor of this little apartment. And one day my mom and I were walking and we found a mattress in the garbage can. And I was 16 years old at that time, but we grabbed it and we were so stoked, you guys. Like we were thrilled. And that was my first aha moment that there's a real difference between what we say we want and what we actually need. And so I started diving down the rabbit hole of personal finance and learning as much as I could about the topic. You know, I think that's a great thing you brought up about the difference between what we want and what we need. And just curious, like how that's kind of played into things like as you've started to make more money, is it just very simple to say like, hey, I know I don't need much? Or is it just really tempting? Because like you never had money before. Now you you want to treat yourself with all these luxuries that you didn't have growing up. Yeah, that, I love that. I've actually been really good about staying within my means and really prioritizing living way below my means. And so when I first started noticing that the lifestyle creep was a very real thing in my life was right after I graduated college. I had this moment where I was making a big kid salary and I'm like, okay, this is awesome. Do I upgrade my lifestyle or do I stay in the same house, drive the same old car? Like I had that choice and I thankfully have done enough personal finance research at that time that I knew the smarter option would be to stay within my means. In fact, if I could live below my means, it would allow me to pay off debt and have a better life in my future. So it wasn't too hard. I think once you dive down personal finance rabbit hole, it's really easy to make that decision decision. And thinking about the actual framework, like laying the bricks, I know you teach a ton of people, you have your podcast, you have your website, you have your money coaching business. When you're teaching people how to kind of internalize these concepts, what kind of tools or frameworks do you typically use? Like, how do you want people to think about the act of saving? Because it's really tough for some people to actually get it through their head. They're like, you know, spend, 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 just like Justin was just saying. So I see a lot of people that try to, they think they can out earn bad spending. So they immediately say, I'm just going to earn more money. And they're great high income earners. And that's wonderful. But they're usually in a worse off situation than some of the clients I work with that are making $50,000 a year. They have a much larger net worth. So I find for most of us, we can get very motivated to save more money, to invest more, to really get our stuff together with finances if we have a strong enough why. And so I find that for most people, it's just digging into the values of like, what is actually important to you? Why why does this matter to you? Once you dig into the values, I think it's easy to get behind, I should save more money, I should pay off my debt, if you really understand why you're actually doing that. So I know a lot of people who are listening may not be financial coaches, but they may be trying to bring up these subjects to other people like loved ones, friends, family members that aren't as into the space as we are. So what are some things that maybe don't work? So like things that people who are really into this subject matter and really get it when they're trying to give that message to someone else, like things to avoid. I think the things to avoid is almost that coming from a place of I've done this and you should do this too. So I think when we assume that because it was impactful for us, it should be impactful for them. That's one of those areas where we start to go wrong. Nobody likes to be shit on. I love that quote of like, you shouldn't shit on people. Because I think it's really true where if we come to try to convince people of like, yo, I learned this really amazing new investing trick and you have to do it too. Because 
it's going to change your life. And they're just like literally trying to pay the bills day to day. You're going to immediately not really resonate with them. So I think the best way to reach your family and friends and your loved ones is to lead by example. If you start leading by example, your results will start to really reflect the values and why it's so important. So when people start to see, yeah, you might live in a a lesser house or yes, you might live in a lesser car or drive a lesser car, but all of that stuff is now you can take your family on sweet vacations. Now you can live abroad. When they start to see that you can truly chase your dreams from personal finance, I think that's when they start to come to you and ask you for questions. So when you're actually leading by example, Whitney, is this showing people pictures? Is this giving people the framework or ideology that you operate on, like you, Whitney, specifically? Because I know one thing that I've noticed a lot is people have to have that voice that they resonate with. It might not be that podcast or that podcast, but they might find that one podcast or that one influencer or that one person that really flips the switch for people. So when you're actually going and coaching these people, are you usually operating from a framework of using yourself as an example? Or do you try to maybe have them idealize what their life would look like in the best scenario possible? I think it's a combination of both. I think for most people, we listen when we can relate. So when we hear something that speaks to us, or maybe you grew up in a small city and I did as well, it's all of those little tiny points that you think are irrelevant that matter the most. And so I think for financial coaches and podcasters specifically, letting people into your world on why you do what you do and showing them pictures of like what's important to you and how you live. You know, these are the financial principles I live by and this is what it allows me to do. I think it's really impactful. And I think that's when people start to take notice. What I find is a lot of people, we almost put ourselves on this this pedestal where we think we have to be perfect. We have to show that we never make financial mistakes. We always get things right. And I think that's where we start to lose people. So I think anything that you can do, whether you're a podcast or a money coach or just trying to reach your family and friends, be relatable. Tell them about the fight you got in with your partner about money. Tell them about some of your financial struggles. And I think that's when people start to take notice. So definitely share your story. And that's what's going to help people. And through your story, if people are coachable, they're going to want to learn from your mistakes so that they don't make the same mistakes too. So I think as a money coach, that's one of the benefits is that you get to share with people, here's all of the mess ups I made. And here's how I would avoid them now. Here's why I'm telling you this is important. I think that helps them understand the context a little bit more. Well, we've obviously already jumped into that you are a money coach and some of those things and the tips and tricks that you've been using. But I'm curious, like, how did you even get started into money coaching? Like, what made you think that you were qualified to be a money coach? Oh, man, dumb luck, honestly. So I I wish I had this like, oh, epiphany moment where I was like, aha, this is where I'm going to go. That was not the case. So it was very much from my own personal life. I had graduated college. I had $30,000 in debt. I was stressed out, didn't really know what to do. So I worked a couple different jobs as a nail technician, nights and weekends, doing like manicures and pedicures, clipping toenails, I say. And then day I was a staff accountant. And that allowed me to pay off my $30,000 in 10 months. So that's where I didn't realize there was a business opportunity there. But I had so many people that were coming to me and saying, Whitney, how did you pay off your debt? How do you budget? How Which debt do I tackle first? All of this stuff that I was actually qualified to talk about because I had just gone through that process. But I didn't realize it could be a business because at that time it was either you become a financial advisor and go get all of your series licenses and and you work for a financial wealth management firm. 
or you become an accountant. Like there really wasn't an in-between. And that's why I was so excited to learn about the online world and blogging and podcasting and videos, because I didn't realize you could make money helping people as a financial coach. It just wasn't a thing there. So that's where I I stumbled into it just by sitting in Starbucks and helping people create their own financial plans. And that's when it started to hit me that there could be a way to make money off of this. And so that's kind of where the business for me started. So I know we've talked about like the values and the money coaching business and all that stuff. I want to rewind even a little bit more. So you got the bachelor's in accounting, you got the master's in business, you're $30,000 in debt. I know you paid off. It was 10 months. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. That's awesome. First of all. And so you're doing all this stuff, but I think that people don't really get that huge shock of how they should be living and what life could be like until there's maybe some pivotal moment, whether it's some travel experience, some hardship in the family, something like that is usually what stems that realization. Was there anything like that, that after paying that debt, or maybe it was that debt journey that made you kind of realize that, okay, I need to start living my life according to my values and the way that I want to live day by day? You know, it was actually college for me. I remember I was studying accounting. That was my undergrad degree. And I was getting to this point where I was living my life by what I thought everybody else told me I should do. This is the expectations of society. This is how I should be living my life. And that even included the degree I was majoring in. I wasn't passionate about accounting. I actually kind of hated it. But it was about three and a half years in when I started to realize that, you know, I am too far down the line to change my major. This is the narrative I told myself. And I'm just going to finish this first and then just get done with it, work in a job that I hate, that pays the bills, and it, life's going to be okay. And so that was the the playbook I was using for my entire life was very much what everybody else said success was. And so my pivotal moment was when I did have that $30,000. I saw that bill and was like, holy crap, I borrowed $30,000 for a degree that I don't even like. And that's when I was like, crap, <laughs> like, how many people do this? But for me, that was that that pivotal moment where I was like, oh, dang it, like, had I been living by my own terms, and like, just really doing what I thought was right for my life, I wouldn't have majored in accounting. And I definitely wouldn't have had $30,000 in debt. Maybe I would have taken a gap year and explored to figure out what the heck do I actually want to do. But that was my moment where I decided that I was done by living everybody else's rules. It was my rules from now on, my life. And especially if it comes to debt, no one else is paying on that debt. It was my student loan debt. So all of my high school counselors and my college counselors, the ones that told me I should just borrow to get through college, they weren't responsible for that student loan. That was on me. And so that's where it really started to really hit me. Well, we always like to try to make sure that when we bring guests on, we pull out some kind of like tangible, tactical things that they could do or answer some questions that they may have. So if they were interested in doing money coaching, or maybe they're just even wanting to share a little more with friends and family and give some advice, but they're nervous about maybe some liabilities that come along with it. Because as you mentioned, you know, most people think, oh, you have to be a financial advisor, you have to be an accountant. Can you just kind of like walk people through exactly what you can and cannot do and just gotchas that you should be aware of? Yeah, there's a lot of them. It's such a good question. I think the money coaching industry is interesting to me because it's very much up and coming. So there's not a lot of regulation yet. I think yet is the key word. I definitely see this becoming more of a thing over time. So one of the things that you have to be really careful of as a financial coach or as a money coach, you have to know what can I say? What can I not say? 
we're not financial advisors, which means I can't say, Cody, Justin, you should go move all of your money into this specific index fund. It's going to rock your world. You can't say that. That's not something a money coach can do. You can do that if you're an advisor, but not as a financial coach. So that's one of the pieces that you should always avoid. The next piece is telling people what type of insurance they should be purchasing. Now, you can educate them. Hey, here's the types of insurance and here's what it means for your life. But never go down that route of telling them specifically what to do. So that's the other area. And then, of course, we don't give tax advice. We're not CPAs. We're not qualified to do that. You can't tell them how to file their taxes or how to amend their tax return or look into these tax credits. You can, again, you can educate, but you can't tell them what to do. So those are the barriers that we work through as financial coaches of what to do, what not to do. And here's the line that we tread. The important thing is if you are focusing on helping people with their budgets, paying down debt and behavior change, you're going to be okay. That's an area that is well within money coaching and financial coaches realm. You can definitely do that. Just be careful about any of the specific investing insurance or tax advice. So the elephant in the room we haven't talked about, this is the end of March we're recording this. Obviously, the economic environment has changed drastically in this past month. Going back to those same core tenets, those same principal concepts, are you changing any of the advice or any of the conversations that you're having with your clients during these times? And if so, could you kind of share what those look like? Definitely changing the conversation based off of anytime we deal with market uncertainty, where we just don't know. Right now, you might have a job two weeks from now, you may not. We really truly don't know. And so because I know that that's where everybody is at currently, and I have to remind myself that my clients are not financially independent. They're still trying to get to that point. They're not down that road yet. They're still working on bettering their financial lives. And so if you come to it from that place of empathy, of these people are scared to death. They're afraid they're going to lose their job. They 60% of Americans don't have $1,000 in the bank to cover an unexpected expense. If you know all this stuff, I actually find it really easy to help people. So what I've done is I have started to shift the conversation when I started to see COVID coming up and becoming a bigger issue for people and starting to hit the US. One of the things I told people is don't put any more money towards your debt. Not right now. We need to boost up your emergency fund if you don't have a large enough emergency fund. Now, large enough meaning one to three months of living expenses just in case, ideally, but it depends on where they're starting. So for those that didn't have that, it was a total strategy shift. Now it's going to almost like a hoarding mentality. How quickly can you get that cash? And yeah, don't hoard the toilet paper, the not different type of hoarding for sure. <laughs> um, but it was like, get that cash as quickly as you can, and then give yourself that peace of mind throughout this entire process. So it became a lot more about managing emotions than it did about managing the math. And so that was one of the things that surprised me throughout the all of the uncertainty was as a financial coach, I was combating a lot of more a lot more of the the concerns of how the heck do I pay my bills? What if I lose my job? What am I going to do with my kids running around 24/7? How am I going to emotionally cope with this stuff? It became a different conversation. And so I think as a financial coach, you start to pivot based on what the market and the global economy is doing. But that was one of the big shifts that I started to see in my own business and with my clients. So I've actually done a little bit of financial coaching myself and really enjoyed it. I think it's it's very rewarding. It's a very personal experience. You get to people let you into information that they don't share with anybody else and you get to see them make these awesome gains. But I have had a client or two who they weren't as responsive. Like they come in you know, they've paid me, 
were working on a plan and they just kind of disappear on me. And I was like kind of taken back by that. But then I realized, hey, we do that all the time, like gym memberships, right? Like we've paid for this gym membership. It's for our own good. We know it's what we should be doing. But then we just stop going. I'm just curious, like if there's any things that you find to work to kind of help people stay motivated, like to keep them coming back to the table, not even just as a monetary concern on your part, because maybe they've already prepaid, but just to keep them involved and to keep going down the road and keep making progress. Yeah, I do a couple things as a financial coach, and we can talk through some of the habit piece. So as a financial coach, I get really good at combating that and vetting people before I sign up to work with them. So I've had a few people that are willing to throw money at you, but don't quite have that willingness to change yet. And so I think you have to really understand, are they truly ready for change or do they think they can just throw money at a, at a problem and that's going to fix it? And so one of the things that I do is on my coaching application, I actually, this is such a cheesy question, but it actually tells me a lot. I have on a scale from one to 10, how ready are you to change your financial life? How willing are you to change it? And it's the interesting thing is the people that say less than an eight are usually the ones that will ghost you or don't really take it seriously. It's so weird. And so I find that that's one of the things I do in my business. The second thing as a money coach that I do to keep people involved is I actually tell them to pre-schedule every single one of their calls. So I do three-month packages and I tell them, I need you to schedule each of your different hour-long calls and each of your check-in calls for the entire process. So that way it's on their calendar and it's front and center for their mind. Now that's the business side. And then from the practical emotional side, you can't force people to change as much as I wish you could. And even when they pay you, if they're not ready for change, no matter what you do, it's not going to help them because it's all about them. Financial coaching works for people that are willing to do the work. And so I make very clear of that when I first start working with people too, that, yo, you're going to get results from this if you are truly ready to put in the time and energy to change. And so I think that's helpful too. And then just reminding your coaching clients and reminding them every single day, hey, here's what you're working on. Here's what is important to you. And so I will encourage them to do really cheesy things like put sticky notes all over their house of like, here's what's important and here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think it's a combination of all of those little things that helps them stay focused. But ultimately, you can't force people to change. And that was a really tough realization I had to come to. Consistency is definitely key. And you kind of have to drill in these concepts, these habits, these practices. But I also do think like, man, sometimes I get really burnt out. I'm just going headstrong for six months or however long toward whatever goal it doesn't have to be money related any goal at all. I just need a break, whether that breaks a vacation, whether that breaks just I don't know. It might be different for every single person. How important do you think breaks are and how do you kind of build those into your life? And then how do you coach breaks into other people's lives? Oh, I love this question, Cody. This is so good. One of the things that I've learned is it depends on your personality type. I am truly the type of person that can go all in on something for one year max. After that one year, I get incredibly burned out and I don't want to keep moving forward. So I've learned that for me, that's okay. I'm okay with like a one-year sprint, if you want to call it that. And then after that, I have to take almost like a month, a period where I just relax, I rewind, I reflect, I do all of that different stuff. And so I work that into my calendar. I truly do. I'll work it into my system and say, I'm pushing really hard for one solid year, and then I'm going to need one month break. So that could be maybe going on a vacation or two. 
It can be something as simple as just sitting more at home and reading fictional books. I mean, imagine that. So like you can do all these different things. So that's how I personally work it into my system is making sure that I understand my personality type. For coaching clients, one of the things that I'll suggest to them is what is your level of dedication and what's your personality type? Are you the type of person that can go cold turkey, never eat out, go all in, put all that money towards your debt and be completely okay and content with that? Great, we can make that work. If you already know that doesn't work for you, then we set little micro sprints. So maybe they have a $10,000 credit card. We'll set it up into chunks of maybe two to $5,000. And so once they pay that off, after you pay off $5,000, now you get to reward yourself. You get to go on a vacation. You get to, I don't know, go to a really fancy dinner or whatever's important to them. So I think it's really breaking it down into chunks that work for your personality type and work for your life in general. So that's how I personally approach it. I just like to be a couch potato for about a month after my sprints. So this is swapping gears a little bit, but I know a lot of times people look at the fire movement and the people who are really into this and they think, you know, okay, these people are just cutting out everything. They're living these somewhat boring lives and they're putting off living their life until later just so they can save money. But I know that you go on a lot of really cool trips. Travel is very meaningful to you. It's a big part of your life. So could you just talk a little bit about how you pull that off? Like what does a typical year look like for you as far as travel is concerned? Man, I'm super bummed about this because a typical year is a lot of international travel, usually three to four per year. I'm supposed to go on my my dream vacation to Peru in May, which we have to cancel, which is heartbreaking for me. So this has been a challenging travel year. But I think the thing to remember is that if people feel like you're not living enough because you're being frugal, I mean, who who the heck are they? Like they're stressing about paying their bills every single month and we're concerned about what they think of us. Like, I, I, so I don't really buy into that as much anymore. But what I do is I live very, very frugally by most of society's standards and I will take those sweet vacations. Now, my sweet vacations, to give you guys context, is usually between $1,200 and $1,500 per trip. I know Justin's like, that's like way too high. But for me, that's how much I spend. (laughs) I know you're thinking it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's usually how much I spend. And I find that I will spend the same amount on four trips that most people do for one trip per year. And so I think it's just finding ways to still enjoy what you love on a budget. And if people are telling you that your plan is crazy and you're not living enough because you have a huge net worth, those aren't the people I'm trying to impress. And I don't think we should either. So I think it's if they're telling you that you're probably on the right track. Oh, man, I love everything you just said there, Whitney, because I'm totally on that same path. I love taking international trips. I try to maximize those as cheap as possible. I'm such a quantity over quality guy when it comes to travel. I think that's super fun and super important. One thing I know in my personal life, travel has changed me so much as a person in all my businesses, as how I treat other people. How has travel, if you can point to a couple lessons that all these different trips have kind of given you, are there any that really stand out right now? I think the first thing is it it teaches you to be comfortable with discomfort. When you're traveling somewhere and you can't speak the language, you can't even read the language and you're seeing here's the subway system and you have to navigate it. I think it really trains you to be respectful of other cultures and realize that maybe maybe you don't know everything. Maybe there's still more that we can learn. So for me personally, that's one of the big things that I always take away. And then the second thing that I always take away is every time I travel, it reminds me how small the world really is. And that's one of those things where 
you can have some crappy stuff going on in your business or your personal life back home, but the world still goes around and it still keeps moving. And that was one of the things that really stood out to me when I first started traveling was it's such a small world. And I think travel makes it a lot smaller for a lot of us where we can start to connect and we can start to, you know, maybe you can't speak a language, but you can smile and you can connect with people. I think it really makes things a little bit more impactful. And then additionally, for me personally, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I travel, I start to, I almost internalize the culture a little bit more and start to learn as much as I can from the way that they live and what can I apply in my own life from traveling. So for an, an example of that, when I go to Japan, I'm going all over on my phone. I'm looking to see like, how much is real estate here? What's their cost of living? What's their minimum wage? This is just like nerdy money stuff. But it gives me more context to how people live. And I think in our businesses, it's a much broader scope where we we do need to have a little bit more context. So I think there's nothing better than just traveling to see that in person of like, this is exactly where people live. And this is how much they make. And this is what they eat. And this is how much their milk costs and all of that stuff. I just find that part to be so interesting for travel. Well, between all this travel, you know, your money business, the podcast, coming on shows like with us, financial meetups, you're definitely a very busy person. And I'm just curious, what's kind of, what do you see as like the next thing for you? Is there anything you see on the horizon that you would like to expand upon or do more of or jump into? For me, the next thing on on my personal horizon is I'm very interested in more in-person meetups. I think this is everything. And I think in a world where we're so connected all the time, we're not connected in person. And I think we see that and we feel that. And so that's one of those pieces for the next phase of my business is I'm starting to think through how do I start to have more meetups, more conferences, more events in person to connect people on a different level. I just I love the internet and I love having an online business. But I miss that intimacy that we have from, you know, grabbing a glass of wine with a friend and just chatting. And so that's one of the next pieces is I'm trying to figure out ways to incorporate the in-person stuff into my business so that it enriches everybody's lives. Well, you definitely picked the wrong time to want in-person stuff, Whitney. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I don't think COVID wants that so much. You know, it's like six but... feet around. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Something that Justin kind of touched on there is you're definitely a really busy person. You're in all these different areas. You're doing all these different things. And during my research, I stumbled across a recent blog article that you have on your site, how to become a productivity master and crush your to-do list. And it was really interesting because you dumped out like all your personal stuff that you actually write down and you do every single week. Could you talk, you don't have to get into the nitty gritty, but could you talk about why lists are so important and how it helps your productivity and how it can help someone who maybe they're a chronic procrastinator, how it can help them increase their productivity gain? Oh, man, I was such a chronic procrastinator. And I've learned that from living or working in the corporate world, it almost trains you to be a procrastinator. I hate to say that, but it's true. And so when I started working from home full time, oh, my heavens, I had such a hard time being productive. Like I would find myself making excuses like, oh, I'm tired and it's 2 p.m. I need to go take a, a 15 minute siesta. And so I'm sitting there like making all these excuses for why I'm not getting stuff done. And ultimately, what I learned is that to-do lists are incredibly powerful because it gives you structure. And as entrepreneurs, we hate the idea of structure and hate the idea of a routine. We want to do things on our own time and on our own terms. But what I find is when you actually have that structure of like, here's what I have to accomplish this week, personal and professional. 
and you write that on your calendar, you start to view your schedule a little bit differently. It makes you feel like, yes, you don't have as much flexibility in your schedule, but you really do get stuff done. So what I learned is when I started to put things on my Google calendar, which I literally live by, it's the best thing in the world. I will only put something on my calendar if it's an actionable, productive goal, something I'm going to produce. I don't have like a three hour window, write three blog, write a blog post or anything of that sort. It's very, very action based, right? One blog post, three Pinterest images. That's what goes on my calendar. And so when I started to do that, what I found is, yes, my routine was a lot more structured, but it gave me so much more freedom. I was able to take Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. That was a dream of mine is to only have three day weekend every single weekend sounded like hashtag goals. And so I made it work. Because my Monday through Thursday was very structured. And so I think when you start to change your perspective of more stuff on my to-do list means that I'm never going to get done, that's not really true. You have to put it like really actionable stuff on your calendar and give yourself a realistic time. And I'm not kidding you. It's been magical for me. I have loved, 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 loved it. I think it's the best. Well, Whitney, the last thing I wanted to ask was if there is somebody out there listening and this is their like one chance, like we've got the perfect guest on and they're really curious about doing this themselves and being a financial coach, what's the best way for them to get started? I think the best way to get started as a financial coach is to taste test the lifestyle to see if you even enjoy it. So what I mean by that is if you've always dreamed of becoming a financial coach and you think that you want to help people through your own experience, go work with people for free. And see if you actually like it. What I find is so many of us get this idea of what's going to be so great for our careers and for our lives. And we burn the bridge and go all in. And then we realize, oh, I don't actually like this to begin with. And so I think with financial coaching specifically, just start working with people for free and see what their problems are, see what their struggles are, and see how you can start to help them. What you'll find if you do this for five people, you're going to find some patterns and some trends on how you can best serve people and help people. So maybe you don't do this as a business and you just want to help people on the side. Maybe you want to work with your church group or you are a teacher and you want to apply this to your classroom. There's so many things that you're going to learn from working with people that are in the trenches and living their day-to-day lives trying to better their financial life that I think it's a really great way to go. And then once you dig into that, if you find out that you do enjoy it, and you do want to become a money coach and maybe do this as a side hustle or a full-time business, now you have a framework of what are the common questions that people are struggling with. Is it Cody keeps blowing his budget because he keeps eating out? Like, this is so not you. But if that's the case, (laughs) (laughs) then you can start to say, here's some strategies that Cody can try to try to stick within his budget so he's not constantly blowing his money on eating out. So you can start to find little tips and tricks. And what I find is when you teach others, it makes you better with your own finances too. So when I'm talking to somebody about, hey, don't spend all your money on eating out or don't shop on Amazon 24-7, when I'm talking to them about that, I start to reflect on, am I doing this too? So it makes you a lot more aware of your own financial habits when you're helping other people too. So if you do want to become a financial coach, definitely, definitely work with people for free to see if you even enjoy it. And then if you do, keep moving forward, start marketing yourself and start charging for your services. I definitely love that last part about practice what you preach. I think that's so important. Just if you're going to be a financial coach, you have to be financially savvy and making all the right financial decisions yourself. You're not going to be taking weight loss advice from a sumo wrestler. (laughs) That's just not how it works. You have to be doing this stuff if you want to be teaching this stuff. 
But Whitney, we have a lot of people listening who might be interested in learning more about your story, maybe becoming a money coach. Where's the best place that they can reach you? I'd say the best place is WhitneyHanson.com or listening to the Money Nerds podcast. I do a pretty good job of occasionally sharing some business tips and tricks on that platform as well. Or you can just dive into the weeds, listen to Cody's interview on the Money Nerds. He had one that was phenomenal on side hustles, one of the top downloaded podcasts so far. So it's a ton of fun. And we have just all kinds of fun guests, too. I know. Congrats, man. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And Whitney, one thing we always ask our guests that come on is for somebody who is on this journey to financial independence, like what's the number one tangible tip you would give them? The biggest tip I can give people is consistency and awareness. You have to stick with your plan and you have to be aware of your personality and how you show up when it comes to your finances. If you stick with the plan, even if it's not the perfect plan, but it's a pretty good one, you will find some results. So just stick with your plan that you set for yourself, go all in and make sure that you stay aware of what's best for your life. And so the final question of the podcast, you're almost out of here, Whitney, but we got one left for you. This is the wild card question. I don't prepare. Justin's not prepared. So you're definitely not prepared. But are you ready? I think I'm ready. (laughs) Nervous. Okay, so something that I stumbled upon that was super interesting to me, and I know that this is like one of the most hardcore physical things you can do, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were doing like these swimsuit type competitions where you're walking around in the heels and the bathing suit and all that stuff. Before I ask the question, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so I know that takes a crazy amount of dedication. You're weighing every single piece of food. Maybe you're working out for seven hours a day. I'm not exactly sure what it involves, but like, what was the craziest thing that you did that you look back now and you're like, wow, I cannot believe that I did that to go and compete in this competition? I tried to keep it as healthy as possible when I was competing in the bodybuilding shows. So I didn't do anything crazy from that perspective, but I will say just that whole process of wearing these really glitzy bikinis and going in front of like literally hundreds of people that are their job is to pick apart your body. Oh my God. It was like the most frustrating thing (laughs) in the world. But I would say one of the craziest times of competition was I walked out and this was my first ever bikini show. In case you don't know, bikinis are not quite as muscular as figure or bodybuilding. So it's a little bit more commercial, I guess. I walked out there. Typically, they have music to, you know, like pump you up and get you all excited. I walked out. The music was not working. It was dead silence. (laughs) Oh, I could have died. In that moment, I'm like, oh, my God, get me out of here. It was terrifying. But that was one of the craziest moments for me by far. It was so scary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Whitney, thanks so much for coming on the show. I mean, you have a really cool journey, both from like the upbringing you had growing up and some of the money lessons you learned there and now how you've taken those and you're sharing them with everyone else and you've started up this really great business where you're helping people meet their financial goals. So I'm hoping that, you know, people get to come in, listen to your story and also take some change in their own life. But just thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. It was truly so much fun. And I hope my story helps at least one person out there. Like I mentioned in the beginning, Justin, super pumped we could finally get Whitney on the show. I know she's been an awesome friend to both of us since we met her back in the end of 2018, and we've hung out with her a bunch since then. And I think she just shared so many useful little nuggets, and not only for people who want to do this money coaching thing, but anyone who wants to convince a friend to, hey, this whole financial independence thing is actually pretty cool, and maybe they could use some of the methods that Whitney was talking about to convince those people. What did you think about it? 
Yeah, I really love the episode. I mean, Whitney is, like you said, a good friend. And I appreciate how honest she always is and open, I guess, is the word I'm really looking for about her upbringing and some of the tough times that she went through with her mom. Um, that's a, a thing that maybe some people find tough to imagine and some people can really resonate with. But just sharing that story and being so open with it, I think, is really powerful. And I think that it probably gives her a lot of empathy when she's working with clients. And speaking of empathy, something I really liked that she said was sell the journey, don't just give them the data. Because I've tried that with failure so many times, even with my own girlfriend, just pushing the numbers at someone is never going to convince them to you know, change their lifestyle and become this frugalist and want to adapt to this financial independence lifestyle. But once you kind of sell the benefits of that lifestyle, work from anywhere, travel whenever you want, all these cool things that a lot of people in the space are doing, that's when it starts to become really attractive for people. I think, Justin, you and I both, a lot of the times when we can get a friend who's not interested in personal finance, financial independence at all, is travel hacking. It's kind of this like leeway where people are like, ooh, you can go to Europe for free by signing up for this credit card. It's this way where you can kind of nudge in, start to get their attention. And I think that was something that Whitney talked about, she was really good at, is you grab their attention first, and then while you have your attention, you start to feed them these little nuggets, and maybe they'll have some personal finance stuff that they'd otherwise find boring. But since you already captured their attention with this big idea, then you can feed them that information. Yeah, and in a similar vein, another thing that I appreciated was Whitney going over kind of how to find the right client who's actually going to make it a successful relationship. So basically, you know, we see this all the time with gym memberships where somebody, they get really excited about it. They sign this gym membership, they buy a full, you know, one year pass, and then they go for like January and then they fall off. And sometimes that's because they don't have goals or just because they're not really committed. And so, so she talks about how the application that she has when she's getting ready to work with a client. Like if they don't say that they're, you know, willing to do like an eight out of 10 scale on the level of effort, then she says that's normally not going to be a good fit for her. I know that I've done a little coaching on the side and same thing kind of hit me. I had someone pay. They come like the first couple of weeks and then they start trailing off. And it was obvious that they just really thought that they could kind of come in, pay some money and it'd be this magic bullet type thing where it just fixes all their problems. And it's definitely a two way street. So if you don't have a client who's willing to put in that work no matter how great of a coach you are, that can also get you into a position to where you know, you're just not seeing a lot of progress and that's not fun for either side. So I just thought it was interesting how you kind of have to come with some really unique approaches as the coach, but then you also have to really watch who you're bringing in as a client. And now it's time for the call to action. And so today's call to action is to put some of these principles into place. So you don't have to go and become a money coach but maybe take a different angle at a friend who's on the edge. They might dive into this personal finance, financial independence, travel hacking, whatever world you're trying to bring them into. Use a little sneaky angle, get their attention first, and then feed them the information. You want to shake things up. And speaking of shaking things up, Justin and I almost forgot we're recording this outro a couple of weeks after we recorded the episode. And during the episode, there was a full-on earthquake while we were recording with Whitney. We saw the paintings shaking in the back and we saw our computer making this buzzing sound and we're like, what in the world is going on? So she's an absolute trooper for just for keeping recording with us after an earthquake went through her house and she's never had it before. Just for some context, the thing she mentioned in the episode, she's in Idaho. These things don't happen, but it was nuts that it happened during our episode but again that's the call to action shake things up come with a sneaky angle and convince a friend about something in the personal finance world so if you enjoyed this episode and maybe you're curious about getting into financial coaching you can get all the information we talked about today over at thefyshow.com slash whitney that's thefyshow.com slash whitney 
And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.